welcome to Southridge. We're glad you're here. If you are uh, here for the very first time, welcome. You'll find that we are very casual, very real, and very transparent. And we hope that you find this a place of life and possibly come back and join us and be a part of, of who we are and where we're going. Um, Want to celebrate? Want to celebrate the? Oh, first, my name's Jennifer too, by the way, and I am actually married to Troy, and I get the opportunity to speak today. Thank you, thank you for letting me have this opportunity. Um, Want to celebrate? Want to celebrate a ministry in the church today? We want to celebrate our kids' ministry. If you are in here and you serve in our kids' ministry, would you stand up? Look around, look around. Let's hear it for these guys. Awesome, awesome. And we have the rest of them that are actually out there serving. So we have at times on Sundays like 100 kids back there from nursery up to sixth grade. That's a lot of kids. And we are short 21 people. That's a lot, right? So let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. I can count 21 of you out, and you can be part of the children's ministry. How exciting is that? Not a lot of excitement going on in here. But, hey, if you are interested in serving at Southridge, you can jump in and be part of the growth track, and Troy will share a little bit about that at the end of the service today. Um, so many of you know that we have been talking about antidote these last three weeks, and we have many of us have been infected by a disease like a poison that weakens us, we need an antidote. An antidote is a remedy that counteracts the effects of a poison or a disease. So in this series, we're seeking to answer some of the questions, what's the antidote to things like worry, anger, and bitterness? The key text, if you want to put that up there, is Hebrews 12. Let's read this again. It says, so we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin that just won't let go. And we must determine to run the race that is ahead of us. We must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us and makes our faith complete. So the point is, God wants us to be able to run a race that he has set before us. But before we can fulfill God's plan, we need to be free from the stuff in our lives that hold us back and won't let us go. We need an antidote, something that counteracts what is slowing us down. The first week we explored what the antidote is to worry, which is trust. Somebody was there. We explored three steps to applying. Um, Personal evaluation, aggressive elimination, and daily execution. Last week we explored what the antidote to anger was, which is kindness. So three steps to applying that antidote was to choose to be calm, limit the opportunities for anger, and practice the art of slowing. How many of you practice the art of slowing? We had a girl in our life group that said she practiced it all week long, and her husband never saw the whites of her eyes. Because to practice the art of slowing, you shut your eyes when you're about to blow. Right? So practice that this week. If you get a chance, you're about to get angry, you just shut your eyes, and then you won't blow. So today we're going to explore the um, antidote to bitterness. Join me while I pray real quick before we jump into the rest of the message. Father, we just, we thank you, God, that you are a good God. Contrary to what's happening in life right now, in our own personal lives, you are good because that's who you are. 
And God, we open ourselves up this morning and we say, have your way. Have your way today in um, showing us what bitterness looks like and how to get rid of it. Bring yourself glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to answer four questions about bitterness today. Question number one, what is bitterness? So it's the first fill in the blank on your sheet. It's a feeling of deep anger and resentment. Bitterness is known in the Bible as a spiritual poison and a means by which many are defiled. Defiled being poised, tainted, or, or tarnished, or ruined. And um, Hebrews is our verse for today that we're going to look at. It's Hebrews 12, 14, and 15. And it says, work at living in peace with the people that you like, with everyone. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see God. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So bitterness is the source of countless spiritual and physical problems in millions of people today. I came across a study looking at this um, that a, a doctor had done, Stephen Standiford. He's a chief surgeon at the Cancer Treatment Center of America. He says that bitterness makes people sick and keeps them sick. He said that unforgiveness or bitterness is now classified as a disease. They did a study and they were able to show that 61% of the cancer patients that they studied, 61% of them had forgiveness, unforgiveness issues. That's staggering. That's high, right? If unforgiveness is causing that kind of physical ailments and problems in our society, it's, it's worth talking about. Not to mention what it's doing to our spiritual journey for those of us that are interested in progressing with God. I want to, um, I want to share, you a, share with you a story from 1 Samuel. This is, this is 1 Samuel, and it's about a son named Absalom. So this was a family of three children that are mentioned. It's Amnon, Tamar, and Absalom. And, like, those are some names, right? Amnon, Absalom. I thought I had unusual names for my kids. Tessa, Tanisha, Tori. Those are unusual. These are really unusual. Okay, the, their father, though, was David. Do you all remember King David? He was called in the Bible a boy, a man after God's own heart. And if you go back and read in 1 Samuel, you'll see the relationship that David had with Saul and the unforgiveness and the bitterness and, and how, the, how that all played out. But we're going to go to 2 Samuel. So this is about the, the, the three kids. And it talks about the royal family, the children of the king. Uh, most likely they had everything. They probably had the big house, the nice clothes, the fancy cars. The good food, you know, not the PBJs, but the really good food. They probably had steak. They probably had somebody feeding it to them. Who knows what they had? But they had, they had everything. And this is how the story plays out. Amnon, the one son, let his desires get out of control, and he took advantage of Tamar, his stepsister. And from that incident, bitterness started to settle in Absalom's heart. He despised his father, David, because the father, David, did nothing as a result of this situation that happened, he didn't deal with it at all. Does this sound like reality TV to anybody? Right? I mean, maybe they got the reality TV show from this. It's, it's like crazy. Anyway, what happened is Absalom ended up luring Amnon in and ended up actually killing him. So he killed his own brother. 
he then went away from the family for a few years, ran away. And, and in those few years, I think, just reading the story, that bitterness continued to just settle in his heart. Started to just take root, to go a little bit deeper. So then he came back to the family, and he came back divisive. He came back with this idea that, I'm going to help these people, because my, my dad doesn't do what he should be doing. So he sat at the, at the gates, and when people co- would come in, he would offer them the solution. This is what we'll do for you. This is what we'll help you with. So he was divisive. He was almost saying, I should be the one in charge. Do you ever see that in, in the places that you live and work? Maybe you see it at your, at your job where somebody, of course not you, but somebody's saying, I should be the one that's in charge here. Or maybe I should be the pastor of this church. I would do things different. Or maybe I should be head of this committee because I know how to make it happen. That's kind of what Absalom did. He came back, but it was divisive enough. So he started to form an ally, a, a, a group with him that were following him and started to form his own team. And they were, they were going to take over the kingdom. They were going to take over what his father had, had started, King David, that God had put in place. Didn't work out like that for Absalom. You read the rest of the story. It, it says that he was riding on a mule and went underneath an oak tree. And the big branches caught him by the hair and hung him. Wow, what a way to die, right? But really, he was, he was faced with his own death because of bitterness and offense. Aren't you glad that we're not like Absalom? Aren't you glad that's not us? Or is it? Or is it? That we got maybe a little bit of bitterness here that we would never call bitterness. We would never let anybody know that we might be a little bitter. Put that verse verse back up there, if if you would, in 15. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So what is a root? What is a root of bitterness? A root is a source under the surface. Roots do not directly manifest or make themselves known but are a source of nutrition or fuel for other elements that are on the surface. A root's job is not to manifest on the surface, but to brew under the surface and fuel things that are on the surface. So it's happening underneath. I have something here I want to I use to show you. You see this beautiful plant? It's beautiful, right? It looks good, just like you all do. You all look great. And, and we, all come, we all maybe came in here this morning with everything's fine. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. When inside you go, oh, I wish they wouldn't ask me that or I wish they would do that. And, and so we look a certain way on the outside. But, but what happens underneath is, is the root system. And we don't always, we don't, we don't see this. We don't see what's underneath. I can't see what's underneath in your root system, and you can't see what's underneath in my root system. You can't always see if it's, because it doesn't play out. It doesn't play out like anger. Because anger, you can see when somebody's angry, right? It doesn't always play out like worry, that worry we can see when somebody's worried. But bitterness, a lot of times, goes undetected because it's in the roots. It's below the system. Okay, hold on. And I'm not throwing this away. Somebody can replant it. For those of you that are plant lovers, I promise I won't throw it away. 
Um, but this is, this is what happens. Hold on. This happened first service too. Okay. So what happens is the root system in our lives below tends to create the bitterness. And it's, it's tricky to recognize because bitterness is an underlying problem that doesn't always manifest on the outside. But it dwells in the person's system and heart. Many hurt people don't express it on the outside, but rather hold it in. And bitterness starts to take root. They look good. They talk good. But below is the bitterness. And you're in bed with bitterness and hurt. So where does bitterness come from? I just have three, three places that I'm going to talk about this morning where bitterness comes from. First of all, bitterness comes from an offense. It comes from a personal offense. You've been offended by, or they've been offended by somebody. Of course, not you and I, right? We don't ever get offended. Anybody in here ever get offended? We get offended, right? We all get offended. I've been offended. You get offended by family, a friend, a coworker, or an employer. I, I can think of two times that I have been offended. Well, I know there's numerous times, but recent times that I've been offended, right? The first, the first one being offense at, at work. I was offended by what somebody said to me at work. And I, you know, probably if you're in here and, and I had coffee with you, I probably spewed it on you too so that I could get you on my side and you could feel my offense because we like to do that. We like everybody to know that we've been wronged when we've been offended. And I, and I talked and I told him about it. And, and if I would have just been quiet, God so worked at my job in such an amazing way, rearranged everything so that I didn't even need to be bitter. He orchestrated things in an amazing way that I couldn't have done. The second one is an offense that happened in my family. Not my immediate family, so don't panic, guys. It was more in my extended family. And it was something that happened a few years back. And I was offended by something that was said. It wasn't even said to me. I just heard it. Do you ever do that? Do you ever get offended when you heard somebody say something and you're like, wow, they really stink? You know? And you, you, you're just like, what the heck? And I got that offense. I was offended so much that I let it start to take root. After a month, after a year, after two years, I knew the bitterness had started to take root. So that's one of the ways that, that bitterness comes from. It comes from an offense. Or maybe you got offended by a circumstance. You didn't get the job. You didn't get the house. And you should have. You were qualified. You were better than them. You didn't get the boyfriend. So you start to get bitter. Second place bitterness can, can come from is bitterness comes from an unresolved conflict. Conflict is inevitable, right? Is conflict within itself causing bitterness? No. It's when it goes unresolved that it causes bitterness. So conflict, if, you, if you've ever heard Troy say, if you hang out with him long enough, he will highly disappoint you. Amen, somebody? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, babe. Um, but, but, you know, even nice people, not that you're not nice, but even, you know, it, like, like a really nice Jay. Oh, oh, my God. Wasn't it good having Jennifer with us today? <laughs> he did not do that first service, so wow. So even like a really nice Jay or a really nice Brent, nice people get conflicts too, right? 
it's when it goes unresolved that bitterness happens. Unresolved conflicts are only the choice that we have on how we're going to respond to a conflict. How you respond to a conflict determines if you're going to get bitter about it or if you're going to have peace. You maybe have heard it said you can either get bitter or you can get better. Every conflict has that choice, and nobody else chooses it but you. You have to choose if you're going to get bitter or better. Third, third place that um, bitterness comes from is bitterness comes from a great disappointment. Comes from a great disappointment. Conflict or disappointment in God's movement or lack thereof. And that one, that one I know personally, that's probably the biggest one of these three that, that I have fought with the bitterness on. And I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. But these are all difficult situations, an offense, a disappointment, or a conflict. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this piece right here. Situations, difficult situations, an offense, a conflict, a disappointment, difficult situations reveal our own character flaws. They are meant to help us grow. Okay? They are all part of God's plan for growth. So today, if you are in a trial or a test, it's because God loves you and he wants you to grow. Trials and tests locate a person. They determine where you are at spiritually. They reveal the true condition of your heart. How you react under pressure reveals the true you. Okay, a trial and a test, the trial and test that you're in the middle of is going to locate you. It's going to show you where you're at spiritually. And that's your opportunity to respond like God would want you to because that's going to cause you to grow. The bad news is, or I guess you could say good news if you're like second or third chance person like I am, is if you don't pass that, he'll have you take another lap. And you'll get another ch chance to have another test, another trial, similar to what you're in. So to save yourself the headache, just pass it. Just pass this test. Pass this trial. Then you don't have to do it again. You get to grow. What happens if you take a lemon and you squeeze it? What do you get? You get lemon. You don't get orange juice. You get lemon. What happens when we're squeezed? When we're squeezed, when we're putting a trial and a test. What's in us is what comes out. So let's, let's grow through our trials. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. One statement that I love, and I, I say it a lot, is a faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So maybe you're new to the journey with God. Maybe you're just getting started. I remember when we were just getting started. It was all good and great, and God was perfect, and he delivered us from drugs. He delivered us from alcohol. He put our checking account in the right place. He did all these great things. And then we had our first test. I was like, whoa, what is this? What is this little test about? But because we passed that test, we knew our faith could be trusted. So a faith not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Let him test your faith. He'll grow you up. Okay, let's go on to question number three. What, is, what, what does bitterness do? What does bitterness do? 
bitterness destroys, bottom line, bitterness destroys relationships. We are easily offended because our relationships are based on what others can do for us. The way we view the difficulties we have left behind will determine how we react to our next difficulties. The way we leave a relationship will determine how we enter the next relationship. So those of you in this room that are single, how you left that last relationship, make sure you got that all cleaned up before you go to the next relationship. Otherwise, you're going to go right back to another relationship just like what you left behind. Let it go. Let it go. What's the words? Turn away and slam the door. Let it go. If I could sing, I would sing for you. They won't let me join the worship team. I don't get that. Gosh. I pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> anyway, they're talking about my singing. Um, second, second point on this one here is when it destroys relationships, it's because we're living a self-centered life. Um, we're isolated. Check out this verse in Proverbs 18, 18, 19. And it's when we allow ourselves to become bitter against others, we create these walls to, that are difficult to overcome. We, we put ourselves in a, in a cage, in a walls ourselves. And then we wonder, why am I so lonely? Well, you might have a little bit of bitterness in your life is why you put these walls up. And it says, um, an, a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. It's hard to win somebody out when you're a bitter person. Are you lonely in relationships? Are you in here today and you are lonely in relationships? I would venture to guess that there might be some bitterness and you've isolated yourself from people that could love you because that's the natural tendency of what we do when we're bitter. We, we draw away. Second thing that bitterness does is bitterness stunts our personal growth. What we end up doing is we end up eating the remains of other, meaning, meaning it stunts our personal growth. We're not putting out anything. We're not putting out any peace, love, joy, or hope. So we're living off of everybody else's peace, everybody else's love, everybody else's faithfulness and joy. We're living off of everybody else's. Because we can't produce that ourselves because we're so full of bitterness. So it, it stunts our personal growth. And then we develop a, a complex, a persecution. And pride comes in. Pride will kill us. And it's typically a, a result of bitterness when we have pride. I was wronged becomes our mantra. I was wrong. And probably you were. But you can't stay there. You can't live there when you're wronged. Last thing that bitterness does is bitterness kills our dreams. It kills our dreams. We end up blaming everybody else for our unhappiness. If only she would do that. If only he would do this. If only they would do that. If only I had that job. It's everybody else's responsibility to make you happy. That might be a sign that you have bitterness. I have, a, I have a six little things here that I'm going to read. They're not in your handout, but it's six little samples of, of what, what might be in your heart if you're bitter. Now, don't, don't elbow anybody next to you, okay? Don't, don't nudge them. Just say, all right, God, is this me? Does this define me? The first one is you talk badly about people. You cannot be happy for anyone. Somebody has something great that happens, and you can't celebrate with them. 
Yeah, might be bitter. Number two, you're constantly comparing yourself to others, and you even get jealous. Number three, you're apathetic, and you avoid people. You're a loner. You want to be alone. You don't want to be with anybody. You isolate yourself. Number four, you take things personally that may not even be about you, and you're not even willing to clarify. You're not going to be like, okay, time out. Are you, like, talking about me in a roundabout way? You're just like, they're talking about me. I knew it. It's all about me. They're talking about me again. You might be bitter. Um, Number five, you complain a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot complain. And sometimes it's about the same things over. And everybody's like, wow, like we heard this story already. Wow, okay, here she goes again. And, and you overgeneralize negative experiences. Last one is you think the world owes you something. And you're going to get yours. If you're like me, when you just heard those six things, you're like, ouch, okay. I got some some bitterness here. I got some bitterness in my heart. But the good news is God doesn't want us to stay there. And we don't have to stay there. And we can live free from bitterness. And the antidote for bitterness, let's go to Ephesians 4. Let's, Let's read this one here. Get rid of all bitterness. Circle the word all. Sometimes I think we get so comfortable with bitterness, we don't know what life feels like without it. And when he starts to chisel it away and get us free from it, we go, ooh, I'm, I, need that, I need that warmth back. And we go back and cuddle ourselves up in our bitterness because it's comfortable. But if you can let him break you free from the bitterness, wow, you will have a world that you've never known before that's out there waiting for you to explore. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And malice is just wrong intentions. That's what that word means. Be kind. Do it. Be is equal do it. Do it. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So choose to be kind and compassionate. I have always thought that I was a kind and compassionate person. I was meek, and I was mild. My family has started to tell me in these last few months or years that you are not meek and mild. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I am meek and mild. So I have been trying to face the truth of who I am or who they say I am, and maybe I'm not as meek and mild as I've always thought. I might be a little aggressive, a little intense at times. So I'm applying this. I'm trying to be kind, and I'm trying to be compassionate or tenderhearted. This is a verse that that goes along with this this portion right here. It's Romans 12, 18, and it says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I have three relational verses that are like my top three for my life, and this is one of them. As far as it depends on you. You may not be able to control everybody else around you. Have you guys realized that yet, that you can't control people around you? Yeah, bright bunch in here. That's good because we can't, right? But we can control ourselves. We can choose to live at peace if possible. It's our choice to do it. The second, the second part of um, the antidote for bitterness, the biggest one is choose to forgive. 
choose to forgive. Before we can forgive, we have to receive his forgiveness. We have to be able to. You can't give something away that you don't have. You have to receive his forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. So, you might want to. Maybe you should consider it. You must forgive others. It's not really an option when you receive his forgiveness. And you know why we must? Because that's where life is at. That's where life is at, is in receiving his forgiveness and giving his forgiveness. Give forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice. Clara Barton, who um, this little story is about Clara Barton. She's a founder of the American Red Cross, right? And she teaches a lesson on forgiveness in a book that's called Calm My Anxious Heart. And it goes like this. One day Clara was reminded of a vicious deed that someone had done to her years before. But she acted as if she had never heard of the incident. Don't you remember it? Her friend asked. No, came Clara's response. I distinctly remember forgetting it. She had made a conscious choice to forgive a vicious deed. A conscious choice to continue forgiving when reminded of that deed. By replying, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Clara Barton was saying, I remember choosing to forgive and I still choose to forgive. That's where we want to be. So how do we apply the forgiveness? It's not easy, is it? Especially when you have the, the mantra, I was wronged. Or especially when you can see the other person and their behavior and it's affecting many people. The first thing is we need to choose to recognize and admit our hurt. That's hard to do. It's hard to hear what others have to say about our attitudes and search for what God wants to do. We have to recognize it. I, going back to the, the situation that I was um, disappointed in, I was, I was very disappointed in, in God. We had our 16-year-old daughter was killed in a car accident, and I was really, really disappointed in God at that time for two reasons that stuck out at me. The first one being, I was a Christian. I had given my life to Christ. And bad things didn't happen to Christians, right? It's not biblical. I guess I didn't really realize that at that point. Because in my mind, bad things don't happen to Christians. And really, God, this is it? And the second reason that I was really disappointed with God is because we had given our lives to poverty. I mean, ministry. (laughs) We, We had chosen to be in the ministry, right? We surrendered to live a life of pastoring and shepherding and, and loving on people. And, and this is how you pay me back? As if God owed me something. But I was really disappointed. And I remember being so disappointed with God that I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And I knew that I could have bitterness settle in my heart. So I specifically went out and I interviewed people. I interviewed people that were farther along in their grief journey, people, people that had only lost children. And I interviewed them, and I went to women, and I, I interviewed some that were just three months down the road from me. 
three years down the road, six years, 10 years, 15 years. And I met with them and I talked to them. And there were two of them specifically that I had to say, I don't want to be where you're at. I can't do this with you anymore because they were bitter. They were living like it just happened in shock two days ago. And I knew I don't want to be there. So I cut those relationships and I told them, I'm, I can't, I can't keep, go with you. So I recognized that I had a great potential for bitterness to settle in my heart. And then I had to admit it. I had to admit it. And you know who I had to admit it to? I didn't have to admit it to all the people that were around me because they could see it. They could imagine the devastation. I had to admit it to God. I had to admit my hurt to him, that I was hurt, that I was broken, and that I was disappointed with how he behaved because it certainly wasn't the way I would have behaved, and it certainly isn't the way I knew he could have behaved. But it is what happened. And I remember many nights, late at night, midnight, 2 o'clock, and I would drive in, in, in highways and country roads over by Lincoln because that's where Tessa died. And I would beat my fist on the steering wheel and I would scream at God, why have you done this? What is the reason of this? And you know what? I don't think he was surprised. And I don't think he was disappointed. And I don't think he was shocked at my behavior. I think he took me in like those of you that are parents would have. And he said, I know, and I'm so sorry but I'm going to be with you through it. And I tell you what, I am not bitter at God because of it. I did not let bitterness rule my life or my spiritual journey, and I still choose to trust him. I choose to trust him with my, my life, my husband's life, my kid's life. I still choose to trust him. But we have a choice whether or not we're going to let bitterness come in from our circumstances. You have a choice, and it's all in how we're going to respond to life that happens. The second, the second thing that we need to do is we need to choose to be prayerful about the person or the situation. Check out this verse. This is, this is a really good verse. It's in Psalms 35, and it says, Yet, when they were ill, I grieved for them. I denied myself by fasting for them. But my prayers returned unanswered. I was sad as though they were my friends or family, as if I were grieving for my own mother. So to go walk through true forgiveness, recognize and admit and pray. And it's not like that little... Oh, bless those people that I hate. You know them, God. Just bless them. It's not that. It's like he is saying, pray for them like you would pray for your mother. Come on, my kids. I know you'd pray for me like, like good, right? And we'd pray for our mothers like that. Pray for, pray for them like your mother. Pray for them like you would pray for yourself. That's a different kind of prayer. That's not a little pat on the head kind of a prayer. That's a real prayer. And that takes... That takes some doing, but there's some freedom that happens when you can pray for somebody that has offended you like you'd pray for somebody that you dearly love. So pray for them. The third one is choose to be committed. 
and choose, choose to be reconciled. And it may not be with a person today for you. It might be with God. You might need to choose to be committed, reconciled with God today. We've been praying that today this service would cause you, us, to have freedom. And that's going to come from being reconciled with God, to be committed with him. We're not going to jump ship when things happen, when trials and tests come. We're not going to jump ship spiritually. Commit to restoration, not winning. I like to win when I fight with Troy. Anybody else in here like when you fight with your spouse or something? I like to win. Like, yeah, I won that one. But that's not what it's about, right? It's about committing to restoration, not winning. Wage peace. Committed to your relationship with Jesus comes priority before it can with anybody else. So when we have decided to forgive the person from our hearts, we can go to them without the expectations of their response. You can go to bring reconciliation, and it won't matter how that person responds because that's, that's not in your heart anymore. Their response doesn't matter. Your response to them is what matters. Matthew 5.23 says, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come to offer your sacrifice to God. Basically, this is saying, go and take care of that. Go and take care of the offense that you have. The other verse that I don't know that's in, in on the screen at all, it is, Christina's a rock star. Um, Matthew 18, 15. It says, if a believer does something wrong, go confront him. When the two of you are alone, if he listens, you have won back that believer. It doesn't say, if a believer does something wrong, go to your colleagues, go to your friends, go to your husband, go to your prayer group, your life group, and make sure everybody knows what they've done wrong so that you can pray for them. It's not what it says, but how often do we do that, right? I went and got my nails done for you all yesterday, just in case you haven't looked close. Anyway, when I was sitting there getting my nails done, there was this little not little, this young girl that was like, wow, she was blasting. She was from some little small town. I don't think it was Springfield, those of you don't worry. I think it was a little farther out. Anyway, anyway, she was like blasting this little town to this other woman that they knew each other somehow. Anyway, I was trying not to listen because I was like, this is making me nauseated. But part of me was like, wow, this is really interesting. I was like, it was a struggle, you know, trying to like not engage, but yet enjoying it. It was, it was sick. It was really sick. Anyway, anyway, but how often do we do that? When somebody is talking bad about somebody or when we've been offended, we like to go to everybody else and tell them all about our offense. But this verse here in 18, he says to go to that person. Go to that person. He didn't go to anybody else first. He went to that person first. And if you read on, the Bible says that if that person doesn't receive it, you take a few others with you. The common denominator in this is the person that offended you is in every piece of the story. He doesn't come in later when you've taken two or three so you can tell them how bad they are. 
He's there the entire time. That's hard for us to do. We don't like confrontation. And we like to make sure everybody knows how wrong we've been, what's been done to us. But he tells us to take, go straight to the person for it. So we need to recognize and admit. We need to be prayerful about the situation and the person. And we need to choose to commit to reconcile. So how will you respond today? It's all in the way that we respond. It's all in how you're going to respond when you've been offended. The way we respond to an offense, a conflict, or a disappointment will determine if we open the door for bitterness. How are you going to respond to maybe what God's shown you in your heart today? Maybe he's shown you a little bit of bitterness, an offense, or a conflict, maybe a disappointment that, that's brewing in your heart. We're going to go into a time of worship, and I was shocked first service with the songs that were chosen today. I think God just does that, right? And I'm going to ask you that when you respond today in worship, that you forget about everybody else around you. You forget about who's sitting beside you. You forget about what you're having for lunch. You forget about that nap on your couch with your nice cozy blanket that you're going to take later today. Forget about all that. And just be right here and just say, God, what do you want to do in me? And let his love pour over you and deal with you. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. You can't be anything but good. And we thank you that you love us. And you can't be anything but love because that's who you are. So God, right now is you are showing each one of us individually those issues of offense that, that maybe are close to becoming bitterness or maybe they are already in bitterness. God, we ask that you deal with us right here, right now, today, that you would take the bitterness, the roots and all, and replace it with your peace, your joy, your forgiveness. We receive the freedom that you have for us, God. And we want to walk in that freedom, God. Do what you want to do in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name.